This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How's it going over there, Chad? It's going all right, Katie. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Nothing to report. Yeah. Well, let's get to The Office, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, first things first, we do have a new Apple Podcast review from Auto in NC. Uh, I do want to mention this review. Uh, we normally don't like talk about the content of the reviews, but uh, I was reading this earlier today. Uh, I'll just read it. It says, so complicated story. My boyfriend loves The Office, but every single time I try watching episodes, I hate them. I don't find the characters charming enough to overcome the mean-spirited situations they constantly find themselves in, particularly whenever Michael is casually racist for a joke. This podcast is a perfect balance of reviewing scenes, character choices, and cringeworthy moments without being immersed in the world of The Office. It's so much easier to sympathize with Michael's character when I'm not experiencing him directly, and I love that I can appreciate how funny the show is for its fans. It sparked a lot of great conversations with my boyfriend as I sl- slowly and steadily binge this podcast. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It reaches the heart of a, quote, hater like myself, <laughs> which I just I thought was, that was so interesting. That's so incredible. And I don't think there's probably anyone else listening to this podcast who does not like The Office. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so that's really cool. Yay. Yeah. Thanks for the review and for the, the interesting story. And I hope you'll watch The Office. And maybe appreciate it after having listened to the pod. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's lofty. That's lofty. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. So diving into our first episode of discussion today, Lotto. It aired on October 6th, 2011, directed by John Krasinski and written by Charlie Grandy. The Dunder Mifflin Warehouse crew has long run its own lottery pool, and they finally actually won nearly a million dollars split between them. And they all promptly quit, leaving the people upstairs without a crew to fulfill their clients' paper orders. Andy scrambles to motivate a depressed Daryl to hire new people, while Jim, Dwight, Aaron, and Kevin work together to attempt to fulfill orders on time. I think in this episode, Andy really feels the manager pressure for the first time. Uh, He feels that responsibility to tell everyone to get back to work after the excitement in the warehouse. He has to tell Daryl to hire a new warehouse crew. But he's still at the same time kind of grappling with the fact that he is manager and that, oh, I'm the guy that has to address this now. And I don't think he's totally comfortable doing that yet, but too bad it's in his hands. Right. And mentioning Daryl, you know, Daryl was down in the warehouse for a long time and he was part of this lottery pool for a long time. But now he's he's moved up to the the upstairs office and you'd think of that as promotion but now he's not with his buddies anymore he thought it might have led to him to the the regional manager job which he didn't get so in addition to not getting regional manager and uh andy getting it instead uh he also lost his chance at getting the lottery and who'd have thought they picked his birthday as the winning numbers so that's like even more salt in the wound so daryl is just it sucks to see how down he is and how depressed he is. Uh, even Andy says, that is not Daryl. I don't know where Daryl is. I suspect probably our Daryl is inside of fat Daryl because Daryl was just commenting about how did I get so fat? When did I get so fat? Because he's in a desk job and he's not downstairs moving things around all the time. And Andy is encouraging Daryl as best he can. I mean, he's long considered Daryl to sort of be his best friend in the office. That's a, a long standing back and forth uh, 
he says, you know, Daryl, I need your help in hiring people because the more I talk, the more I try and talk to these people about what is expected of them in the warehouse and find out whether they're capable of what's expected of them in the warehouse, the more they're going to realize that I don't know what I'm talking about. But Daryl is just not into this idea. He, he, he's about as low as you can get in this kind of situation. Yeah, he's sitting in his office mad at everything, everyone, himself. He's just grumpy all day long, and he isn't doing anything. And Andy's getting anxious, and the rest of the office is getting anxious because they have orders to go out. They have clients that need paper that they've purchased, and that's the warehouse's job, and now there's no warehouse, and that's Daryl needing to hire someone. So that that prompts us getting uh, some of the office crew downstairs later, uh, and we'll get into that in a bit. But Daryl's sort of checked out. Um, I think he's mad about the lottery. He's mad about he's mad about a lot of things. And um, again, we'll get into that in a bit. But Andy is finally able to convince some people to do some work, including volunteer warehouse duty. Aaron immediately volunteers, uh, probably the smallest person besides Angela in the office. <laughs> Oscar claims that his hip prohibits him from helping. Jim volunteers as, quote, the strongest person in the office to, of course, try to get Dwight on board, who quickly does join to prove that he's the strongest person in the office. And um, Andy also assigns Kevin to help. Very managerial, very, okay, we need one more and Kevin. So I think Andy's finally stepping up to his duty. So the four of them spend the day downstairs while Andy and Daryl now need to hire these new warehouse crew. and. As you said, Andy's holding this meeting with Daryl, but then Daryl, at first, is just kind of mentally checked out. Eventually, he just leaves. He's completely checked out. And Andy is really losing their interest. I, I was going to say he's ruining the meeting, but not really. No, he's kind of ruining the, the hiring process. Admittedly, he knows he's not doing a good job, and he knows that this is not his strong suit. And that's why he needs Daryl, and Daryl just refuses. And I mean, a couple other things that are leading to Daryl's uh, or lending towards Daryl's depression. Apparently, he developed a soy allergy and he's learning how prevalent soy is in everything. Uh, we talked last time about the deleted scene where his ex-wife, uh, who he thought was he was sort of rekindling a relationship with, she actually cut off all ties with him because he'd given their daughter false hope about the two of them reuniting. So in this episode, she calls him again. After hearing that the warehouse crew had won the lottery, thinking, oh, well, I mean, if he's won the lottery, then maybe it won't be so bad being with him again. But no such luck. He didn't win the money. And again, salt in the wound. Hey, what about Glenn? Was Glenn part of the crew that won the lottery? Oh, also, I don't have his phone number. Can you give me his phone number? And so Daryl's like, no, good. I mean, good on him for like, no, I'm not going to give you this guy's phone number. He gets to the point where he feels so stuck in this job. And everything's going wrong for him that he even ask, asks Andy to fire him so that basically so that his options are open for other career opportunities. And he's trying to scare away the new applicants. He says, don't just take the first job that comes your way, because next thing you know, it's 10 years later and you're still there. You could write your obituary tomorrow. It's not going to change. Uh, Andy asks, are, are we scaring them straight? He says, I hope so. Think about this carefully. There are better lives than this one. And this is where Andy culminates. And I love this. Andy gives his best friend in the office some tough love because Daryl was trying to 
to give him some attitude about it all. He says, you should give me your job because I earned it. Everybody said I was going to get it. And for some reason, God knows why you got it instead of me. And so that's when Andy steps in and he, he, he bosses it up and it's pretty awesome. After Daryl asked Andy to fire him rather than just quitting, I think he wants that severance. He's hit such a low that he wants, he wants to start all over. He wants a new job. He wants something else. Daryl eventually says, okay, you know what can make me happy? If you're not going to fire me, you know what I want? I want your job. Daryl says, I can do it better than you. I earned it. I deserve it. I got passed over. God knows why. Reasons I cannot and will not understand. The job was mine, Andy. Everyone said it was mine. Make me manager or fire me. And Andy says, I'm not going to give you my job. It's my job. I earned it. Here's the thing. You weren't even next in line. He said that he asked about Daryl and he saw his file. And frankly, he has a history of being short with people, he says, and that he hired Glenn, his buddy, to replace him, to to replace Daryl in the warehouse. And Glenn was underqualified. And management saw that. Andy says, Joe saw something in you. She loved you. She gave you a shot. And then you stopped pushing. And Joe noticed. And it's, as you said, it's tough love. And Daryl, when Andy says this, realizes that he's right, that Andy is right. He had an opportunity. He had Joe's eye. And then he got lazy and he got complacent and lost his opportunity. I'm really glad that Daryl took it that way because I like the Daryl-Andy friendship and I'm glad it's going to continue because that was a tough love moment for sure. Andy even mentioned to Daryl, so D'Angelo was going to give you those business classes and yeah, D'Angelo isn't here anymore, but what happened to your ambitions as far as that went? Like, why didn't you not, why did you not ask me? I have that power too. I have the same position that D'Angelo had. So even though Andy is giving Daryl some tough love, he's also trying to be supportive and say, listen, I, yeah, I'm your boss now, but use that. I'm also your friend and I'm your boss. And after Andy is, does give him that tough love, Daryl says, my future is not going to be determined by seven little white lotto balls. It's going to be determined by two big black balls. I control my destiny. I do. And so at this point, Andy had hired a few sort of misfits uh, to fill in the warehouse positions. Uh, Daryl says, I'm going to uh, supplement slash take over with my own crew. And he's back in the game of doing his job to impress, which is the Daryl that we know and love and the Daryl that Joe loved in the first place. Uh, the reason she moved him up to the uh, top office. So things appear to be on the up and up with the two of them. Uh, Daryl's back on his feet and Andy showed again that he is capable of doing this managerial job. That's, I think, the bulk of the Daryl story. And then, of course, we have Jim, Dwight, Kevin, and Aaron in the warehouse who have 300 boxes to load into the truck. Jim says, that's 75 a person. That's not so bad. Uh, But they quickly realize that they are not suited for warehouse life. They are not jacked. They have a hard time throwing um, boxes of paper in the back of a truck. And so they're going to need a better way. So much of this could belong in the funny moments. Most of it is just funny stuff, but I'll try to give just the the details here, the, the story. They first just try doing it by hand. Dwight believes at first he can load all 300 boxes by himself. He doesn't need others, and he just hops on the forklift and immediately runs it into the wall. Uh, <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing. They eventually, after giving up on just 
manually doing it, they try Kevin on his hands and knees with boxes on his back crawling to the truck. They try a luge-type situation with the boxes down an, an alley that they have created using grease. I mean, they're really just ruining all these boxes of paper. None of it really works. Uh, in fact, I don't think by the end of the episode they have loaded the boxes. They just, <laughs> they have just failed. That's been their day. Yeah, there's some on the truck, but they're just sort of like randomly strewn about. There's no stacking or organization to them. The other two character-driven things I wanted to mention, uh, there's Angela, who's continuing to be obnoxious about her pregnancy. Uh, she, quote, jokes with Pam by pretending that she thought the lotto pool on the clipboard was a guess-your-baby's-birth-weight pool, and she put 14 pounds in order to be super rude. She said Pam's baby's going to be 14 pounds, which, no, that's, that's I don't even know if that's possible, but <laughs> that's a big baby. So it's very rude. And uh, aside from that, Jim and Pam, there's some talk uh, from various characters at the beginning of the episode, especially about what characters would do if they had won the lottery. And that Jim and Pam each had their own separate fantasy. Jim said, I'd live in Maine. I'd be running either a bike shop or a kayak, sh- a kayak shop in town. And I'd either bike or kayak to said job. And Pam's fantasy, uh, she has a townhouse in Soho in New York where she'd get ideas for her painting and her handsome husband would bring her flavored coffee. They sort of playfully argue about it. Pam tries to compromise saying, okay, well, we go to the south of France and you could do plenty of bicycling there. There's lots of art art inspiration. Chip says, I don't know why I'm compromising if it's my fantasy. (laughs) Uh, It's it's just like a hypothetical argument that really doesn't mean anything. But uh, at the very end of the episode, they did come to an agreement. Pam says, we're going to live in a stunning pre-war brownstone at the top of a mountain. Jim says, right, it's city and country combined. Pam says, just a subway stop away are the the best museums in the world. And Jim says, I can fish right from the window of Pam's pottery studio, and we can chat anytime we want. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. So it's just like fun, playful banter back and forth throughout the episode. One last character moment I wanted to mention, you kind of touched on it earlier about D'Angelo. We learned that D'Angelo didn't die, but his brain died. So he (laughs) might be brain dead. Um, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the D'Angelo update. We won't get too many, but that's, uh, that's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> Going into funny moments then. Yeah. Uh, the cold open <laughs> has Oscar playing hero. Uh, they find a dog that is left in a car in the, the office park. And Oscar leads the charge in breaking the window in order to let the dog free because they were worried about it getting too hot in there. And then they are like, well, you don't want the dog, do you? No, I don't want the dog. Okay, well, we'll just tape a cardboard window in place of the window we just broke and we'll poke holes in it. And that's the solution to our problem. (laughs) And so the the dog is still in the car by the end of it. A couple of quote highlights from the cold open. There's a sticker on the car that says i'd rather be snowboarding and oscar says snowboarder it figures jim asks do do snowboarders hate animals oscar says i bet this guy didn't leave his weed in the car it's being super stereotypical uh and kevin decides okay i'm gonna get in my car to test the in-car temperature on this day because andy's arguing oh it's not that hot out we don't have to worry about this kevin says when i start dying 
I will honk the horn three times. <laughs> and at the end of the cold open, everybody's forgotten about Kevin. And we hear two honks and then a long sustained third honk uh, because he has passed out at his steering wheel. I also love how their decision to put a cardboard box over the window and poke holes in it. The sunroof was open. Yeah, it was. I- I'm not saying that that's enough for a dog, but I'm saying that their solution was no better than the sunroof being open. Right. <laughs> uh, so they really just broke someone's window and tail light. Yeah, and Dwight's like sprinkling milkshake or something in t- through the sunroof to to get the dog something to drink or whatever. I don't know what it is. Some more about what people would do with their lotto money. You talked about Jim and Pam. Kelly, with the money, would, she said, probably still work. But for her salary, she'd take maybe a dollar a year. She obviously wouldn't come in till noon, and she wouldn't do anything that she doesn't want to do. And then she gets a little defensive. She says, I mean, I'm getting paid one dollar a year. You can chill. (laughs) (laughs) Andy, at the beginning of the episode, everybody's talking around about their lotto desires. He says, are you kidding me? Guys, if I have to ask you to get back to work one more time, I'm going to change my tone to down here like Mr. T. And this will get seriously annoying. I feel sympathy for the jerks who have to listen to this all day. <laughs> He's, I feel sympathy for the jerks. Yeah. That's, that's the famous that's line, exactly right? right. That's exactly the way Mr. <laughs> T says it, too. <laughs> a couple of other things that people would do with a lot of money. Some of them are real. Daryl says that Glenn, his friend, is starting one of those fat camps where he steals your kid in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, those. Madge and a couple of other guys might start a strip club. I like how they say Madge and a couple of other guys. Once again, Madge is a woman. <laughs> uh, they're going to start a strip club, but on a boat. And Hide is investing in an energy drink company for Asian homosexuals. Very specific. Hmm. Creed said, I already won the lottery. I was born in the US of A, baby. And as a backup, he has a Swiss passport. <laughs> and then the last one, Toby, his uh, to do with his hypothetical lotto winnings, he says he would spend a lot of time launching his uh, true crime podcast, The Flenderson Files. Just, bum, bum, bum. Flenderson Files. Ugh. <laughs> 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 Andy leading this meeting without Daryl, struggling to find words to say or to ask questions. He says, does anyone get distracted by bubble wrap? <laughs> you'll, you'll be dealing with lots of bubble wrap, obviously. <laughs> okay. It's, they're, they're professionals, Andy, or at least that's the idea. Down in the warehouse, which was pretty much all funny moments, Dwight is throwing boxes up in the truck and is grunting fairly obnoxiously and everyone's kind of staring at him and he says, what's the problem? Grunting is scientifically proven to add more power. Ask any female tennis player or her husband. And so Erin is throwing her box up on the truck and grunts loudly. And it doesn't help. She says, I didn't feel anything. Perhaps because she weighs 100 pounds soaking wet and is like five feet tall. (laughs) Not because she grunted. (laughs) Right. At the end of the episode, uh, we get the the culmination of the warehouse efforts. (laughs) Daryl and Andy have just had their... They've resolved their differences and they're ready to get back to work. And they show up at the warehouse to find Aaron, Kevin, Jim, and Dwight with grease all over the floor. There's like a a raceway of ruined paper boxes uh, lining this grease. And it's just a mess. There's the, the baler in the wall... The truck is backed into the side door. Uh, lots of things. And Daryl says, is that grease on my floor? Dwight speaks up and says, okay, I can see why you're angry. You're coming to this cold. But believe me, a lot of thought went into this. 
And Daryl says, and did your brains tell you to ruin these boxes with grease? Kevin decides then that it's a good idea for him to explain. Okay, Daryl, listen, and then you will understand. The boxes were ruined during our first trial testing. So now it's cool because we found another use for them. And Jim then speaks up and says, okay, look, all we're trying to do is we thought we could come up with a more efficient way to do things. And they don't really want to explain themselves, or at least Jim doesn't, because he's ashamed of himself in the moment. Uh, But Aaron and Kevin convince him. It is called Senor Lodenstein. Kevin says, tell him why it's called that. Jim says, uh, no, th- that's okay, we're good. And Andy says, no, Jim, tell us why it's called Senor Lodenstein. <laughs> and Jim just sort of under his breath says, porque es muy rápido. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get to demonstrate it. So uh, it's they count off in Spanish, of course. Uno, dos, tres. And they pull, it's like Jim and Dwight pulling ropes. And Aaron's got a helmet and she's holding boxes of paper and it's down the greased runway and to to close this off the the ultimate end to this is phyllis saying yeah i lost my client because it was her client's <laughs> order that they were trying to to take care of it was a big client too this one almost could be a character moment because it's not super flattering but it is funny dwight and jim are joking that they should be able to find a more efficient way of doing this than madge or hide and jim laughs and then jim sees the camera and kind of nudges Dwight and says, not that they're not smart people. And Dwight sees the camera. He goes, no, no, they're very smart. There's just more of a physical intelligence, mm. like baboons or elephants. <laughs> and Jim's like, no, no, no. It's not helpful. Just stop talking. You're making it worse. Pam is at reception covering sort of for Aaron while she's down in the warehouse. Ryan comes up and says, hey, uh, you're right back where I like you. Can you make 10 copies of this for me? Pam says, no. Ryan says, why not? What are you doing? Pam says, uh, because I'm buying lottery tickets online. Ryan laughs at her. He says, uh, everyone wants to be rich, but nobody wants to work for it. Pam responds, you came in at 1030 today, right? <laughs> and it's like, boom, shut down. <laughs> I love that. It's like, okay, I'll do this myself. Though. <laughs> Oscar has come in handy today. Andy is wondering who the most bulked, jacked guy in all of Scranton is. And asks for Oscar's opinion because Oscar frequents gyms. And Oscar is asking, well, bulk or definition? Andy wants definition. Oscar says, Bruce Kenwood, he hangs out at Planet Fitness. He assures Andy that they are real strong muscles. They're not just show muscles. And then Oscar has a talking head. It used to be Reggie Winters out at Gold's Gym, but he moved away. And then, and then it was between Bruce and this guy, Dean. But Dean got fixated on his calves and... Uh, his triceps went to hell. <laughs> it's the first time Oscar has been asked to do something like stereotypically gay and he had an answer for it. Yeah. And he's like invested yeah. in it. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, I know we're going out of order, but that's okay. Uh, when they first get down to the warehouse to tra- start and try to take care of these, Jim says, okay, 300 boxes of 20 pound white, that's 75 boxes per person. That's not so bad. Dwight says, negative, 300 boxes for me, zero for you chumps, deal with it, and he climbs into the forklift. And he proceeds to immediately drive the forklift into the wall of the warehouse. You mentioned that earlier, but uh, he then just jumps off. He doesn't say anything, and he just goes, 
Yep. As he picks up a box of paper, it's like, okay, back to the plan. 75 per person. Okay. Yep. Yep. Good job. <laughs> Without a word about his accident. Nate, Dwight's assistant, um, we see now is applying to be a warehouse worker. So he's in the interviews today. And as one of the guys is talking about his schedule conflicts and whatnot, Nate decides to chime in. And he says, also, FYI, he just learned what FYI was <laughs> and liked that. Also, FYI, uh, I don't technically have a hearing problem, but sometimes when there's a lot of noises occurring at the same time, I'll hear them as one big jumble. Again, it's not that I can't hear because that's false. I can. I just can't distinguish between everything I'm hearing. (laughs) I love Nate so much. Yeah, this is like the Nate moment I think I think of most of the (laughs) time. That's false. I can't hear. Later in the episode when Daryl is invested again, he is uh, trying to have a conversation with somebody about something and... He approaches Daryl and says, oh, by the way, Daryl, I don't technically have a hearing problem. He starts to give the same spiel he just gave Andy. Pretty great. I like Nate a lot. Andy's like, can you not? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we have the the, the sort of preface to Senor Lodenstein. Uh, Kevin is the one who comes up with this idea. He says, guys, when I was a kid, my sisters used to butter me up and slide me across the linoleum floor of the kitchen. That really made them laugh. Jim says, it's a great idea, Kev. I don't think it applies here, though. So maybe we just... Kevin says, yeah, we moved stuff and it was fun. Dwight says, Kevin, doesn't apply. Kevin tries to continue. Right. My mom, Aaron just grabs him and says, you need to drop it. Okay. They hate it. I like it a lot, but they hate it. So drop it. (laughs) And Kevin just looks like really (laughs) depressed. Like, oh, okay, I guess. (laughs) At the start of the episode, when Daryl's first sort of showing signs of depression, Andy goes up to him and says, did you go out celebrating with the guys last night? Just as the guys did invite me out to celebrate, but I decided to just stay home, ate a bunch of tacos in my basement. And he says, you do have a fantastic basement. Daryl says, I did. I did have a fantastic basement. Now it smells like tacos. You can't air out a basement and taco air is heavy. Settles at the lowest point. (laughs) It's like, it's really depressing, but it's a really funny thing to sort of be depressing. Um, (laughs) And then lastly, uh, Oscar is speculating at the start of the episode. He says, what really interests me is the group dynamic of six people winning the lottery. This will not end well, right? Meredith speaks up and says, we're looking at at least one suicide and one weird sex thing. And Oscar just says, at least. Like, he he agrees with Meredith, (laughs) at least. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I feel like occasionally Oscar likes the drama. Yeah. (laughs) Deleted scenes for this episode. Pam says she's been looking and she's found her dream New York place. You know, New York, where real things happen for real people, not lobsters and caribou like Jim's fantasy. And she says, I know I can't hate Jim's fantasy. I'm not allowed to hate it. So as hypothetical problems go, I'm having a big one. And I'm having to remind myself that everything's fine. We're still poor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dwight asks Jim what Aaron wanted from the cafe. And Jim responds, hot chocolate tea. That's actually in the episode. But then we get the follow-up in the deleted scenes. Hank says, uh, that's not a thing. And Dwight says, just, just take some chocolate, put it in hot water, add one of those flowers. He's got like a small cup of flowers or something on, his, uh, de- on, on the table. And so Pam speaks up and says, that smells really good. Can I have one of those chocolate flower waters? And Hank then adds some flair to it and says, you mean... Uh, Hank's famous hot chocolate tea. <laughs> he just gets into the idea for a second, even though it was uh, Dwight's idea. 
We get more of Andy interviewing the warehouse candidates. He gives them a hypothetical situation, quote unquote. He says, first thing in the morning, and you walk into the warehouse. What do you do? <laughs> it's not a hypothetical situation. That's called work every right. day. A woman says, check in with the foreman. And Andy says that, that the foreman is sick. He got sick off some unpasteurized chev. They say, what's that? <laughs> that's what Andy calls goat cheese. That's the French word for it. Okay, Andy. Um, just more of him being too much <laughs> for these guys. A little bit. <laughs> a little too much. Uh, Dwight has a talking head. He says, have you seen how the warehouse guys work? When they're not sitting on the couch, they're sitting on the forklift going three miles an hour. I'm sorry. I'm not going to pretend it takes eight hours to do five minutes worth of work. Well, we see how the next eight hours go for Dwight. (laughs) When they're loading up the boxes, Jim wonders why the truck is so far away from the warehouse door. It's several feet, uh, probably six or eight feet. And he's like, okay, instead of walking that extra bit, why don't we just back the truck up? to the loading dock he says he's getting a little cocky he's like the the warehouse has been here for so long why is no one thought to do this well they had jim and uh, (laughs) the truck will not back up into that spot and so dwight hops into this 18 wheeler and tries to maneuver it back and rips the wall off nearly trying to do it and almost kills jim and uh yeah no that it was there for a reason (laughs) (laughs) oh and they Dwight has blocked Jim and himself from getting to the warehouse now, so they have to crawl underneath the 18-wheeler mm-hmm. to get where they're going. <laughs> they have Senor Lodenstein set up with the grease path on the floor, and Jim says, you know, we're so close, we just have to figure out the corner, the turn. Dwight turns to Kevin, he says, listen, we've been friends a long time, right? And Kevin responds, Egon's. Not the word you're looking for. <laughs> so if I was to ask you to sacrifice your body, and lay down on a greasy corner and act as a human bumper shield, I wouldn't be asking you lightly now, would I? Now, would you, do you want to wear a trash bag? Or, and uh, at this point, Jim has called Dwight over because he thinks this is a bad idea. But Kevin's into it. He says, however, it's normally done. <laughs> and <laughs> Dwight had placed his hand on Kevin's shoulder. He takes away and he sort of looks at it. He's disgusted a little bit. It, Kevin's suit looks real bad. I don't know if it's like, the grease all over him or if it's sweat or if it's a combo of the two but his his work clothes are not in good condition or his face or his face he's just filthy yeah toby has some more hypothesizing on his lottery winnings he said if i won the lottery i don't know i don't think i'd make any changes to my life Eh, quit my job move meet someone (laughs) okay well those are probably the three biggest changes you could make to your life so Maybe he does want it to change. Ryan says, I will give 35% of my winnings to AIDS-based charities. No, no, wait, 25%. If they can't cure AIDS with 25%, the extra 10 is not going to make a difference. He says, at some point, you're just throwing good money after bad. Wow, what an awful thing to say. (laughs) That's charitable. And Phyllis says the first thing that she'd buy is new boobs. For her mom. She says she has the worst boobs. They're embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, we know that. They must be really bad. Yeah, we, I mean, we know that Phyllis is proud of her jugs, as she's called them. Jugs, yes. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, going on to the next episode, it is Garden Party. It aired on October 13th of 2011, was directed by David Rogers and written by Justin Spitzer. 
Andy is hosting a party, a garden party, at Dwight's farm. On the invite list is on the invite list is employees from Dunder Mifflin, Robert California, and Andy's family. It doesn't take long for everyone to realize why Andy is holding this party. Jim, of course, uses the opportunity as an elaborate prank on Dwight. And what a beautiful, beautiful prank. Yes, it's a really good episode. Premise is short, but it's one of my favorites. And this is one of the most revealing episodes for why Andy is the way he is. We've gotten snippets of his home life before. Uh, We knew he grew up rich. Uh, We knew that he was originally named after his dad until his younger brother was born and then the name was stripped from him and given to his younger brother instead. We've known some of those things. He's trying to be really nonchalant about throwing this garden party, but it it serves as a twofold purpose to one, impress his parents after the promotion and two, to impress Robert because as he said last episode, he's still forming a first impression with him after all. His parents had just thrown a garden party to celebrate his younger brother's promotion And his boss was there. He looked really excited to be there. And so Andy's just trying to recreate this moment that his parents had with his younger brother so that, hey, they can be proud of me too. And he's struggling to gain the approval of his parents this whole time. But it's so clear that they think so much less of him than they do of his brother. Because in that case, his promotion, his garden party, they threw the party for him. Here, Andy is trying to throw this for himself in a desperate attempt to, I don't know, just gain any scrap of approval from his parents. It's really depressing. I'm calling this a validation party. Yeah. Um, He's looking for validation from his parents, from Robert, from his employees. He's just, he needs, he needs attention. And I mean, but really he does. Like it's, his parents are not great. No. And as I think it's Daryl says towards the end of the episode. If I had parents like that, I'd be like he is too, yeah. in, in more or less words. They get now why Andy is the way he is after meeting his parents. So at the beginning of the episode, he's holding this party. He explains that to them. And he is less than confident in his employee's ability to go to a party and not embarrass him. They f- have to follow all these rules. And according to Andy, that's what makes it better. <laughs> that's what makes this party so fun is that it has rules. Yes. Um, he's insulted that someone calls it a barbecue and asks Daryl, please don't bring a grill. This is not that kind of thing. <laughs> and everyone's a little bit annoyed that this is just, it's too much. It's too, there's too many rules for a party. There shouldn't be this kind of expectation going into it. But they all, they all play well they all dress well when they show up and andy is extremely nervous the whole time he's just everything has to go right when his parents show up he takes them around and introduces them to the right people and his brother shows up as well i mean he's this is all stakes on for andy i don't blame andy at all for trying so hard with his parents they're just i mean they're straight up jerk bags (laughs) to be honest Walter, his dad, says, so you all work with Andy. Andy says, well, technically for Andy. And Oscar says, wait, no, technically for Robert California. He's our CEO. His mom says, I thought you were the CEO. And he says, I don't know how you got there. His dad, you said you were running the company, this branch. I'm the regional manager. And then Walter says this awful line. He says, yes, that makes more sense. Are you all regional managers? Are you all on the same level as my uh, my son, uh, like oh, man, what a what a jerk! Oh. And they have 
theater tickets for later that night, so they can't stay too long. But it's not like season tickets to an upscale theater stage production. This is to see Moneyball at the movie theater. They want to go see Brad Pitt at the theater rather than enjoy an evening with their son who just got a promotion. And they they invited his brother, not that he necessarily has anything against his brother, but they clearly have all the affection for him and not for Andy. So that's another slap in the face. And this is our first glance at seeing how hard Andy has to try even to hold his parents' attention for a split second. He tries to recreate other aspects of the garden party that they threw for his brother, like singing with his dad. And his dad won't even do that with him properly. It, it's, I keep saying the same things, but I mean, man, what a depressing life for Andy to, to work so hard to gain approval only for it to fall short every time. And since Andy isn't getting any validation from his parents, he tries to then turn it towards his staff. He starts a round of toasts. First, he toasts his amazing staff. He's clearly doing this so that someone will toast him. And then Daryl stands up and toasts Robert California and calls him their boss. And people make random various toasts, none of which are directed towards Andy. And then way later, Aaron tries to toast Andy, but is interrupted. Later again, Kevin toasts Robert again. And then Gabe tries to uh, toast Robert. Robert speaks. He says, the people say I led you, but it wasn't me. You want to toast the man who led you to success, but the boss is irrelevant. Andy and I, we produce nothing. We do nothing. We sit in our offices and demand, I want this, that, I want this and that right now, like petulant children. You know the difference between a crying baby and a manager? One day, the baby will grow up. But without you, Andy and I would be sitting in our dirty diapers, waiting for someone to change us, wipe us. I should be toasting you, thanking you for allowing me to have the easiest job in the universe. Which is just not what Andy needed to hear and have said in front of his parents. Well, for a second, you thought that it was going to be something that everybody needed to hear. He says, you people say I led you, but it wasn't me. You want to toast the man who led you to success. And Andy's like, okay, here it comes. This is the recognition I deserve. Robert's going to highlight me for being a successful leader of this branch. But then he goes into that whole spiel about how, oh, yeah, Andy and I, we do nothing. You guys do all the work. We're just like figureheads. We sit here and do nothing and we wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for you. So it, it just worsens the situation. And it's at this point that he actually tries to do out with his father. And at first he's like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm eating. Well, come on. And so he goes up and, and they decide on the song and Walter says, oh, it's tricky. Like he doesn't believe that Andy can do that. And then Andy starts singing. He says it's in a too high key. He takes the guitar himself and he starts playing. And then when Andy tries to join in uh, on the singing, he says, oh, no, you're joining too soon. You're singing too soon. And then eventually, no, Andy, you need to go. Walter Jr. is here. He can come up and he can sing. And by the way, Walter Jr. is played by Josh Groban. So, I mean, not that Andy's a bad singer, but he's not Josh Groban. So, I mean, we kind of get it. But still, it's, it's just one thing after another. These people can't give Andy a break. And so at the end, Andy's off by himself and his dad comes up, maybe to apologize, we, we hope. He says, what was that display? Andy says, I don't know. I just thought if I could throw this great garden party, show you how respected I am, that you'd be proud of me. Walter says, Andrew. And he says, I know, I know, dad. I know that you're proud of me. And Walter says, no, 
I'm not going to tell you how impressed I am that you're a manager of some rinky-dink branch of a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. How long are you going to go on needing my approval? You're a grown man. Don't act like a little boy who needs, and we, we don't really hear the rest of the conversation, but I mean, we've heard enough. And I think Andy's heard enough at this point because he's just so done with trying. This is in a bedroom at Shroot Farms where Cece, Jim and Pam's daughter, is staying, is sleeping, and there's a baby monitor. And the receiving end of that baby monitor is with Jim and Pam at the party. So people hear this. And it's at that point that Daryl says, I think if I had parents like that, I'd be trying to convince everyone all the time how great I was, too. Yeah. It's been a really rough day for Andy. He's just about had it. And after all of the non-office guests have left, I guess everyone's talked about how awful Andy's parents are. And Andy decides he's going to leave, too. But Daryl ignores this and asks if he wanted a cheeseburger or a hamburger. He brought the grill, anyway, from the warehouse. Oscar calls him the Nard Dog, which in its own way is huge, because I don't think Oscar would do that normally. And tosses Andy a beer, and they all sit and watch Dwight's closing ceremonies, which we will get to in a minute. And they have a little mini party of their own with all the jerks having left. Yeah. Really, he needed that. He needed his friends at that time. Yeah, something that didn't really occur to me until just now was that this episode contrasts with the previous couple of episodes. We saw the incentive. Andy rallied the troops, and they were able to make a huge difference in their sales this quarter by just coming up with a good idea that got everybody fired up to do their work. And then last episode for the lotto, he was able to turn Daryl's outlook around and convince him to stay on and to work hard and to do his thing again. And so he's been trying really hard to prove himself as manager, but now he's, just, he's still trying to prove himself as a son. And no matter how much he does or how hard he tries, he can't fulfill his parents' expectations, You're, even if they have expectations for him. It's like they, they're just not even interested. So it, it is an interesting con uh, contrast between this episode and the couple previous ones, because this isn't something that Andy can really have any control over. And at the end, when he is eating burgers with everybody, it's it's him accepting that these people care about him more than his parents do. And he doesn't have to hold on to the life he grew up with if they don't want to hold on to him. And so, yeah, the garden party and the hors d'oeuvres and the the chevre or the, the fancy whatever might have been his parents' shtick, but burgers and beer are his new family style. And so the night ends on a good note. Without going into too many of the funny moments, because the majority of this is funny, Dwight has been trying to break Shroot Farms into the high-end event hosting industry for some time, so he re he's really excited about this opportunity to, to throw this party. He even bought a book about throwing garden parties, which was online, and it was written by a Mr. James Trickington. There's only one copy in the world, and he bought it online for nothing. And he is psyched, and he is following this book to a T, and James Drickington is totally Jim Halpert, <laughs> and that's amazing. And so Dwight spends the whole day uh, at this party putting on some really interesting and unusual party-throwing tactics. So we'll talk more specifically about the garden party shenanigans. Uh, thanks to Jim here in a, few, a couple minutes. The one of the other big dramatic things that happens in this episode is Pam accidentally reveals to Petty Angela um, 
Angela had asked, hey, Pam, do you wish you had done anything differently to avoid cankles? And then she brags about going up another cup size. And quick aside, she also mentions that the senator was, or sorry, state senator was grossed out by her going up a uh, cup size. But anyways, so Angela's being rude. um, And Pam accidentally reveals she and Jim are naming their son Philip. Only to learn that that's the name that Angela was planning on using for her son as well. Pam is naming her son after her grandfather, Philip. Angela is naming her son after her favorite cat. Totally equivalent. Actually, more in Angela's favor, right? <laughs> um, and so they try to get ahead of each other at uh, at the party. Angela, during the toast, says, I would like to toast someone who isn't here, but who will be in just four short months. Welcome to the world, Philip Lipton. Pam says, I also would like to toast Philip Halpert, who is due even sooner. May he be a good namesake to my grandfather, who I promised as a child long before tonight that I would one day name my son after him, to Philip Halpert. And so they're just being petty all over each other. They're making announcements that probably neither one had planned to announce uh, at this early point. But, I mean, that's competition for you. And then one small thing with Robert, just more weird Robert stuff. He had called Andy early in the episode when Andy was at the office to bring a gift for the party tonight. He says, I have an orange marmalade and I have a basil plant. Andy says, marmalade sounds great. I would love that. And Robert's weirdly very annoyed by this. He's like, oh, because I already offered it to my sister and she seems really interested in it. Are you sure you don't want the basil plant? Because, I mean, whatever, but the marmalade sounds great. And so Robert shows up to the party. I, I brought you your basil plant. And he said, I, I, I thought I said marmalade. He said, nope, I could have sworn you said basil plant. He's just, I don't get Robert. <laughs> um, he's just playing weird mind games and whatnot so just just more of him being particular going into funny moments we start with the cold open andy has purchased billboards for dunder mifflin unfortunately they were defaced as jim says there's this thing that people tend to do with billboards how do i put this if there's an opportunity for a graffiti artist to work in a phallic shape interacting with the artwork it will happen and andy gave them that opportunity Meredith walks in the office, loving it, she says. Great billboard. Funny, edgy, right up to the line without crossing it. Loved it. Dwight has no idea what's going on. He has not seen the billboards, and he's in one of the billboards. So he runs out to the street where you can see the billboard, and it's been defaced. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And we see a few others, and... You don't see the defacement itself, but you can imagine. Yeah, and it, it's like I don't know what Andy and Dwight were thinking with the the poster or the billboards they were making in the first place. They're just kind of extravagant for a paper company, but it, it's just too perfect right. the way everything's outlined. And Dwight sprinting to the billboard, just shouting "No" the whole way is <laughs> so great. No, 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 no. Andy says, "You don't need a reason to throw a garden party any more than you need a reason to throw a birthday party." It's a garden party. You don't need a reason. You know, I think you might need a reason to throw a b- birthday party. Like a, a, a small one. There's, there's yeah. Uh, one. One reason. 
Dwight is giving people instructions on how to get to his farm. He says it's very easy to find. It's right in the middle of the root vegetable district. If the soil starts to get acidic, you've probably gone too far. And he's urging people to perhaps not look it up on the internet. You can't find it that way. Just stick to the maps that I have provided. Don't go online. Jim hears this and, of course, gets suspicious. And so he decides to go online. And the Google map view of Dwight's place is of Dwight and Moe's on the seesaw. <laughs> really, I mean, they're having a great time. Their faces are just lit with joy. And Dwight is wearing a uh, pair of overalls and no shirt underneath. And Moe's is shirtless. And it's just, they're just different people when they're not at Thunder Mifflin. Of course I seesaw. Moe's and I seesaw all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We mentioned the uh, Throwing a Garden Party by James Trickington. Let's go through the chapters that are revealed within the episode. The first is chapter two, announcing guests as they enter, is the height of decorum. The more volume displayed, the more honor is bestowed upon everyone present. So Dwight loudly announces everyone who enters, including Stanley Hudson and his mistress, Cynthia, and James, Pamela, and P.P. Halpert. (laughs) <laughs> which is a flashback to a couple episodes ago didn't uh jim yeah, correct yeah, him was, i'm trying to remember what he originally said jim decided on peepa but it, i think dwight thought it was pp pp halpert and he goes that's peepa or something Peep. yeah okay yeah dwight originally thought it was pp and then jim corrected to peepa yeah you're right kind of a shout out to a previous episode then at the end of the episode, Jim plays with that again. Apparently, he has everybody announced as they leave as well. Or maybe this is just out of order kind of shot. Uh, Jim says, I think I left my wallet in your house. Dwight says, who cares? Right here. And as he w- enters and passes Dwight, Mr. James Halpert. Oh, keys, keys. Dwight says, stop forgetting things. <laughs> Jim says, I didn't forget them. They're right here. Again, Mr. James Halpert. <laughs> Jim says, oh, I'm so sorry. I think I forgot that thing. What? Dwight says, what? Idiot. Um, And Jim's just sort of like inches his way in and back and forth. And Dwight tries to uh, announce him, but he he stops. He says, what are you doing? Jim says, hey, I have a question. Who do you think is really the best salesman in this office? And Dwight starts to say, that's a stupid question, obviously. And then that's when Jim enters and crosses the threshold again. And so Dwight ends up saying, obviously, Mr. James Halpert. And he just (laughs) sits there looking miserable with himself, admitting that. My favorite one of those introductions is, ladies and gentlemen, may I present, and this must be just the height of honor, because he extends the name to Robert California. (laughs) (laughs) More volume and more honors bestowed. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Chapter four. uh, One of the host's most important duties is as dance master. A proper courtly dance sets the tone for the entire afternoon. So there's a dance. Chapter nine. The tableau vivant is not only welcomed, but expected entertainment at any garden party. And then at the very, very end, Dwight and his staff come out and they're carrying torches and doing like some sort of ritual. And Pam says, what are they doing? Closing ceremonies. Nice touch. (laughs) That might be my favorite part for me, I think, is the closing ceremonies. Just like carrying around fire and chanting and (laughs) rhythmically moving with each other. Robert and Dwight have an interesting conversation. 
Robert wants Dwight to focus on the hosting. He thinks he could spend a considerable amount of money having his birthday party here. Dwight says, well, that's great, really. Uh, we have a number of birthday packages. The pewter package has the least amount of goats. Not no goats, it's still 10 to 12 goats, depending on the availability of the goats. Now the goat package obviously has the most goats. What were you thinking? Robert says, of course I am not interested in goats. Why would you spend so much time going over the goats with me? <laughs> Dwight says, well, I can get you exotic meats, hippo steaks, giraffe burgers. Robert says, we'll talk. <laughs> and Robert walks away and Dwight says, it'll all be goat. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, we mentioned the first part of this earlier. He says, I think if I had parents like that, I'd be trying to convince everyone all the time how great I was too. And Oscar says, well, I guess we found Andy's rosebud. Daryl says, rosebud? It's a reference to Citizen Kane, something that explains why a person became the way they are. Daryl says, I know Citizen Kane. Rosebud didn't explain why he was how he was. It just represented what was important to him as a child that he missed. Oscar says, different school of thought. Let's just agree to disagree. Daryl says, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I just love that they get into film criticism there for a second. Um, I, I can't give any input, unfortunately. I haven't seen Citizen Kane, but it's supposed to be one of the best movies of all time. So Yeah. So Jim and Walter Jr. introduce themselves, and Walter Jr. knows Jim by the name Tuna, because that's what Andy calls Jim. And Jim is standing next to a woman who... Walter Jr. assumes this is lovely wife, Pam. It's Meredith. And not only is Jim offended, but so is Meredith. <laughs> and then later, when Walter Jr.'s leaving, he says goodbye to Tuna and Pam, being Jim and Phyllis. And again, Phil- er, and, and again Jim just looks so embarrassed and like, no, you never met the real one. She's- I like her much more. <laughs> I do like how enthusiastic he is, though. <laughs> Bye, Tuna. Bye, Pam. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, oh, I met so many lovely people tonight. I mean, he's a good guy. It's not his fault that his parents yeah. love him more. Um, yeah, he seems fine. It's, it's the parent. <laughs> uh, Kevin is stuffing his face with finger foods and hors d'oeuvres. And the waiter says, sir, I need to be able to feed all the guests. And Kevin says, I understand and continues eating. <laughs> <laughs> yes, feed all the guests. I will continue then. Thank you. We see a good bit of Moses episode. Toby pulls up in his car to find Mose, the valet, who's dressed like a carnival barker or something. <laughs> Toby asks where he should park, and Mose insists that as the valet, Toby must surrender his car. Must. Has to. And he forces Toby out of his car and speeds off very aggressively and crashes into a cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> like, bad. And then we see him parking the cars right next to each other. I mean, you can't get out. And they must all have sunroofs because he climbs out of the sunroof and then slides down the hood. That's how he's exiting all of these cars. Good. And then even later, we see that he has made a ramp up to the many parked cars side by side. And he tries to evil Knievel them. He's wearing a cape and he's on an old Vespa type thing. And th the Vespa won't make it up the ramp. So he gets off and just hops from roof to roof and just stands victorious at the end. <laughs> I'm glad you said, made the Evil Knievel thing, too. I said Evil Knievel as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we're both a little young for Evil Knievel, but uh, I'm glad we came to the same place. They don't know. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin is on the seesaw, the infamous seesaw, with Ryan. Ryan says, 
this is not funny, man. Let me down. Because Kevin is weighing down the whole thing. Kevin says, I think this thing is broken. <laughs> Ryan says, it's not broken, Kevin. This is how it works. <laughs> Gabe cannot believe that Andy is throwing a party like this just to impress the CEO. Gabe says, that's classic Gabe. Come on, Andy. Why don't you not steal my business strategies and I won't dress like my life is just one long brunch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Stick to your thing. <laughs> uh, during the toasts, Ryan says, I'd like to make a toast to the troops. All the troops. Both sides. Okay, way to <laughs> sit on a fence, okay. I guess. Um, Everyone kind of lowers their glass. Yeah. <laughs> and then later, Kelly is dropping heavy hints to Ryan. Oh, I am so cold. And... Ryan, wearing his jacket, says, that's because you didn't bring a jacket. But then later, Robert California is cold. So, of course, Ryan strips off his jacket and offers it to Robert. Robert California says, my body has somehow become acclimated to southern Italy. Isn't that strange? I've never been there. And it's, it's, it's really weird. He, like, cuddles up in Ryan's jacket, and he's talking about acclimating to southern Italy, the place that he's never been. He's a strange guy. He's a strange guy. My last one. Andy, at the beginning of the episode, is explaining the dress etiquette for the garden party. He says, I'm glad you asked. Connecticut casual. What does that mean? I have no idea. Connecticut casual, though. Stanley <laughs> says, any chance Connecticut casual is Pennsylvania business, i.e., this is what I'm wearing to your party. <laughs> it's like, this is what you see is what you get, if you want me there. I imagine Connecticut casual is lots of, like, Brooks Brothers and... Vineyard Vines and, like, Freddy. Is Cornell <laughs> in Connecticut? Because, I mean, did you know Andy went to Cornell? Did he really? Yeah. I feel like they should have mentioned that. Okay, it is not, though. It's, it's, like it's a, in uh, Ithaca, New York. <laughs> Ithaca. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I should have known that. <laughs> so, deleted scenes. Oscar is talking about how condescending Andy's being, but Daryl explains he gets condescending when he's nervous or when he's excited or sleepy. Not an easy person to be friends with. <laughs> and then Andy comes in and says, hey guys, getting psyched for the party? Ryan, can I count on you to wear an understated satirical outfit? Ryan, right on cue, says, can't wait. A folk colonialist gathering when unemployment's at 9% wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then Stanley asks if he can bring a plus one. In a talking head, we learn that Stanley is going to break up with his girlfriend, Cynthia. He likes to do it in a public place, like a restaurant, but he also doesn't like to pay for a meal that won't lead to sex. So this party is a great opportunity. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we can go ahead and jump ahead to the culmination of that part of the story. At the end of the deleted scene, Stanley is talking with Cynthia. He says, you're taking this really well, and I, I hope we can still be friends. And she walks off, and Stanley looks mighty pleased with himself, like, success did it again. But then she returns with a tray of hors d'oeuvres and dumps it on him. And she announces, I am taking your car and I'm going to call your wife and explain to her why she has to pick you up. And then she tops it off with an F.U. And Stanley looks horrified. Phyllis looks very excited. She says, I told him it was a bad idea. <laughs> Aaron enters the party and Dwight forgets her last name. So he can't announce her. He says, Aaron... The receptionist. <laughs> <laughs> and she's fine with that. She's smiling and happy. Yeah. She, she doesn't know any better. She's glad to be included. <laughs> Andy walks up on Kevin, chowing down on the finger sandwiches. He says, I'm reminded of a lame but useful saying I learned as a kid. What is the difference between hors d'oeuvres and the animals on Noah's Ark? With hors d'oeuvres, we only take one at a time. 
And Kevin doesn't take the hint. He's just, he's like, oh, okay. What's the difference between a vacuum cleaner and a blonde? Like we're telling jokes now. Like we're telling riddles, whatever. <laughs> and he just sort of walks off, but he gives the, uh, yeah, cut him off uh, sign to yeah. the waiter as he's leaving. Of the finger yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> it likens to the other joke saying used in the episode, which was Mabel, Mabel, if you're able, keep your elbows off the table. Mm-hmm. And so now he has a, another etiquette rule <laughs> joke. We hear about more of the chapters in Jim's, I mean, James's book. The host should always create something spectacular to draw the eye of his guests. So Dwight creates an ice sculpture. It's the Alamo, but it's not the Alamo. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, it's about the size of the um, Alamo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's a fair. Texas joke, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, local listeners. <laughs> uh, and then... Dwight has a talking head during all of that. He says, when this is all over, I'd like to go to one of Trickington's parties. They sound like a blast. <laughs> if only. So at least he's enjoying himself during yeah. all this. <laughs> There's more baby name drama in the deleted scenes. Pam uh, has just put Cece down to sleep. And Angela's sitting downstairs and she says, oh, you put the baby down to sleep. Cece, she's such a precious little angel. Cecilia and Philip. And Pam says, yes, after my grandfather. And then Angela gets the attitude. Philip is wasted on you. Jim is never going to take the time to call him Philip. He doesn't even take the time to get a haircut. And Phil, it's just something you do to a hole. (laughs) And Pam says, I'm having my baby first. So that's that. Then Angela goes so far as to suggest it could go either way. My doctor said my hips are so dainty. I'll most definitely have to get a C-section. So I could go early. Pam says, you think your doctor is going to give you a C-section at six months? Angela says, yep, if I request it, he will. And that is that. I don't think that's how that works. But hey, Andy has a talking head. He says, my parents are used to a certain type of class and my coworkers are a different type of class. It's not that one's better than the other. It's just that one's a little higher than the other. He's trying to be, he's trying to be nice, but he's not being nice. Yeah. Kevin's like kicking a table. And by the way, Kevin's got his toupee again. Yeah, um, and his fancy party toupee. Mm-hmm. And Meredith is wiping her chin on the tablecloth rather than on a napkin. So Andy is with his parents and Robert. This is something that could have easily fit into the episode. This is probably one that was just cut for time rather than any other reason. His dad says, yeah, Andy's memory has always been a little shaky. And that reminds his mom, hey, you didn't send your brother a gift for his birthday. And he says, yeah, I did. I recorded happy birthday in four parts and I emailed it to him. His dad, a jerk bag says, oh, I'll bet that was a big budget affair, Mr. Big Spender. Andy's face falls, and then Robert speaks up and says, for my brother's birthday, I took him to see Cirque du Soleil's Love, which was great. Or, not for everyone. You have to like the Beatles. Uh, Robert and Walter leave for the bar, and before she joins, his mom says, by the way, your brother, hint, hint, is a Beatles fan. Andy just, like, makes a face, like, how can I win for losing? I like I, I can't even win for losing uh, as he follows behind. Right. And that's that's the episode. You have our uh, discussion topic for Garden Party. I do. Uh, we don't really have the background on this, but let's wildly speculate. Uh, <laughs> why do you think that Andy's parents have so much disdain for Andy as opposed to their love for his brother? A couple of things I mentioned earlier. We know 
that Andy was originally Walter Jr. until his younger brother was born, at which point they gave the special name to the younger brother and they got Andy's name out of a baby book. Andy's no Josh Groban, but he has shown us that he can competently sing. He's gifted at both the guitar and the banjo. And I mean, I don't know what Walter Jr.'s job title is. I don't know what he got promoted to, but Andy being promoted to regional manager is not a small deal. And he has every reason to be proud of it. So all that goes to say, what gives? Like, what? Why? Why are they this way? <laughs> I can't speak for when they were very young and they gave the name to a newborn baby. I mean, how how much older do we think Andy is than his brother? A few years, maybe three or four tops. Mm-hmm. They're not much different in age. So as far as that goes, I don't know. Surely by under five, he couldn't have been a big enough disappointment that they would have stripped him the name, but they did. As for recently, maybe Walter Jr. just fits in their life better. I mean, Andy's sort of a quirky guy. Like when when he and his father were singing, his dad's got this melodic voice and he's very quiet and whatever. And Andy's sort of trying to do his little scatting thing he always does and tries to kind of make it his own. And that's not what fits in the family. That's not what they do. And I think Andy just isn't a Bernard. He's the black sheep and that he doesn't fit. And I think probably his brother does. So do you think the Bernards traditionally are like a cookie cutter kind of family and Andy's just like a cookie that didn't fit the mold? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Maybe he was just a quirky kid. Maybe he's not what they expected from a firstborn son. And so... He's uh, trying. He He tries so hard to, like, fit that mold. He went to Cornell. He wears the right clothes. I mean, he's Mr. He's he's Mr. East Coast, you know? He's just... He's... he's, He does all the right things, but he can't... You can't be something you're not, so... Yeah. Anyway, that's good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Poor Andy. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of our official 84th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe if you care to do that over at Apple Podcasts. And you can leave us an email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a voicemail to be heard on the show, you can call us at 93-PRETZ-DAY, that is P-R-E-T-Z-D-A-Y, or 937-738-9329. We ask that you keep it under a minute, and uh, if you don't want to be mentioned, say that as well. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash kd.white. The best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And my other podcast is Cinescope. You can find it where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and all contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com. We do have a shout out for our newest Patreon supporter, Alexander. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, live streams, check out our Patreon page. Pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And we are recording a couple of new bonus episodes this weekend. So look forward to that. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 84 of An American Workplace. 
Make sure to join us in episode 85 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season eight, Spooked and Doomsday. Bye. Bye.